Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Nathan Littleton, who is a marketer, speaker and author, and at the age of 32 is the youngest ever president of the Professional Speaking Association. We discuss how to communicate your message and stay top of mind, how nurturing relationships is more important than gaining likes and views, and how peer leadership is a new model for the future. So, hi, Nathan. Hello, great to join you. Fantastic to have you as a guest. I've been really excited about this because you and I know each other, but whenever I do a podcast, I get to know more about someone and things that I don't know. So I'm curious to see what we will end up talking about. But Nathan, tell us a little bit about you and your business and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, so I run an email marketing business, essentially help people to stay top of mind with their audiences. And I do that in a few ways. So helping people with email newsletters and email marketing campaigns, but also in training rooms and with as a keynote speaker as well. And that all started really from starting a business when I was very young. So I started my first business, business at 12 years old. And running a business really is all I've ever known. You know, my mum, still asks me when I'm going to get a proper job. Honestly, she's she's asked that so many times over the years. But of course, there's maybe a different mindset with some people with uh, running a business or being an employee where it's maybe a bit more uncomfortable for them, but it's all I've ever known. And I think I might be unemployable now, if I'm honest. Uh, (laughs) But the passion for where it comes from is I've, I've always been in marketing. I've always been working in communications in some way. And I love it because... People do want to get a message across, but the way they get their message across isn't necessarily how it's received. And our message is all about how it's received, not what we intended it to be. So anything we can do to be clearer in our communications, to help people and give value, I think is a really good thing. Just take me back a bit. What was your business at the age of 12? So I used to make websites as a very (laughs) spotty little boy. (laughs) I was a teenager in my bedroom and I probably should have been doing my homework. I was making websites. My first one, I think, was for uh, a small motorcycle dealer. And in fact, I remember I did this website. It was a three page website for 80 pounds. And that's a lot of money to a 12 year old. You can buy a lot of sweets with with 80 pounds. And I remember he referred me to another motorcycle dealer and such was my lack of confidence in my pricing that he wanted a much bigger website. And I remember saying to him, this one's 170 pounds. And there's a reason for that before he could have any, before he said anything else, I said, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that because I was so caught up with the idea that he was going to think, well, you did that one for the other guy for 80 pounds. Why is this one 170? And of course he didn't. He had no idea of that whatsoever, <laughs> but it was just my own neuroses, I guess, that that made me think that. Uh, but it was a website business. It grew into website design and email marketing. And yeah, I I decided that I wasn't going to go to university. I got accepted for a place at university, but decided, no, I want to see if I can give this a go because I didn't want to go to university and then think, could I have made it? Could I have done something in the world of business that would have been better than what I'm doing now? And the only way I could have known was if I had given it 100%. Which you have done, yeah, to get to where you are. So one of the things I like to talk about is the times we're in, and that, you know, that means different things to different people. But, you know, we've been through quite a journey, most of us, the last three years. And I think the way we what we want to talk about and the way we deliver our messaging 
whether we're speakers or not speakers, and everybody's a speaker in some sense in that we speak to each other and we have messages we need to get across. What do you think's changed? Well, people's priorities have certainly changed. I think if we look at the people we're expected to be influenced by in the world of politics and things like that, I think there's less trust and credibility than there perhaps was. But we're all in control of of what we do with our own lives. You know, I don't I think it's a a dangerous thing for people to say you're in control of everything. And if you're not if you don't have the circumstances that you want, then that's your responsibility because well, it doesn't really help anybody. But I do think that we can take a view that we're in control of the things that we can control. There are going to be things out there that are external influences that aren't going to help us and are going to be obstacles for us to overcome but we can control the things that we can control and as long as we're doing our best with those and we're exploring new ways of doing things then that's okay but people do have different priorities when it comes to the way we communicate as speakers as service providers or product providers in business I think we need to not make any assumptions around what people's challenges and opportunities are. I think that's the core to any successful marketing, successful communication is to have a real understanding of what people's challenges and opportunities are that they're facing right now that we might be able to provide some small solution to. But if we assume what those challenges and opportunities are, I think that's dangerous too because it might not be in keeping with what the reality is and then our message isn't going to be received in the way that we expect. And what do you find people's core challenges are at the moment and problems are what are people experiencing problems mostly with that we need to communicate to them about well quite often it's around time or money we either want more time to do the things that we want to do spend time with our families or have experiences that we want or it's around financials it's around not having enough money to do the things that we want and quite often the two are connected i'd like to think we'd wish that they weren't but of course they are you know, money isn't the be all and end all to things, but it certainly makes things a little bit easier. And certainly in my world where I work mostly with businesses, my clients are other businesses. I hear a lot that there are very few problems that wouldn't be solved with a bit more money, a few more of the right types of client, a few more of the right prospects that we can sell to in the right way. And I can understand that. So if we can help people to get more time to do the things that they want or earn a little bit more money to do the things that they want, then we're on the right path there too. And Nathan, you're you're a speaker as well as helping people who are speakers and who want to get their message across. How has that world changed? I mean, we we often have seen speakers up on big stages and there are the likes of Tony Robbins and that most people will have heard of. But I imagine the world of speaking and actually being an influencer has changed somewhat over the last few years too. Oh, hugely. And, you know, I mean, I'm 32 and quite often, let's say older generations will look to me and say, what are the kids doing now? And I think I have no idea. <laughs> I feel so removed from some of that as well, because yeah. Yeah, it yeah. feels like the generations are shorter now than they perhaps were. So looking to me at 32 and saying, what are the kids doing? I've not the foggiest idea. There are things that are going on in the world of TikTok and Instagram where I think, well, why is that happening? I don't understand it. So how that translates to the wider world, I think we have to be aware of the way that people want to receive certain messages, the way they want to learn, they want the way they want to understand what's happening in the news might not necessarily be what we're expecting. Mm -hmm. And I think that extends into the world of speaking and training and 
the way that we help people in a few key ways. Firstly, the fact that the platforms that we're using to do that might be different than they perhaps once were. But also the messages that we're giving, I think, will more than likely be different because people have different priorities depending on what age they are, depending on what their circumstances are, what's happening in their world might be different now to what it was a year ago or two years ago. So where I mentioned that, you know, the priorities that people have, the challenges and opportunities that people have, we can't make those assumptions because it, it was the same case two years ago when COVID was at its, at its highest. And if you were judging people based on what they were expected to do a year before that, then there was going to be a different situation. And I think the same applies now. Mm-hmm. Things are changing so quickly that we have to adapt. We have to be versatile in what we're doing. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I like the idea that you are helping people to nurture relationships. So, you know, how do you, yeah, think about, talk about to me about the sort of relationship side of things, because I think that's important. You know, we can talk about getting a message across and it's to a wider audience, but actually we also want a consistent audience, don't we? We want people to come back time and again. And I, I know that I love posting on LinkedIn and I have people who are regular readers of my LinkedIn blog so sort of that and and also we were we were thinking about earlier before we came on air talking about viewing numbers how important are those well you're right I think that it does come down to relationships my core philosophy I think when it comes to the email marketing work that I do is there are a, a few approaches that you can take many people will go down the 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 lane of buying a list because you know if you if you have a big list of people who could potentially be your target customer then you can market to as many of those as as you like and some of them will eventually become customers or to paraphrase that if you throw enough mud at a wall some of it will stick well you wouldn't take that approach in other areas of life so i don't think you should apply that to your marketing or specifically your email marketing So when it comes to email, the view that I take is that you want to build a list of people who firstly know who you are, would recognize your name when it lands in their inbox, and you're starting to build a relationship with them. And you're right, we were talking about the viewing numbers, because I think LinkedIn and the world of social media is fascinating in that sense as well. People will quite often take the view that, well, you should be putting messages out there that are going to help people. And of course, you should to a degree. But then they're concerned that the engagement and the number of views that they get isn't as high as they were expecting. And yet they'll post some sort of story about something that happened to them down the shops or something that's happened with their son or their daughter or their grandchild. And suddenly the engagement's through the the roof because there's a human element to it. You know, we're all people in business. The people that we work with have their own lives, have their own families, their own experiences that we can tap into in a way that we don't necessarily always have to be simply providing value, helping people to fix a problem. We can just be human too. And we can engage with people to build those relationships by letting them know that we're human as well. So true, Nathan. I mean, everything's a story in the end, isn't it really? And and we know that as speakers, because when we tell stories um, from the stage or when we turn something into a story, then people light up their eyes light up and they're engaged it's a curse really because I feel like I spend all my time going through my experiences thinking oh there might be five minutes in that somewhere (laughs) (laughs) I I know I mean there's one of our colleagues uh Patricia Fripp and she has a phrase which is mine your life and you go right back to 
when you were born and, and literally mine your life for these stories. What are the stories that you could come up with? But I, I find that too, you know, I'll be out doing something and something happens to me or occurs to me and I make a note and sure enough, it's an interesting story. I suppose the other thing that I'm doing in those circumstances, what what am I learning as I go through life? And therefore, what, you know, can I share that experience with people? Um, and can they learn something from my lessons or my mistakes as well? Of course, yeah. And and people who are similar to you may have had similar experiences. The, the message that they got from it might have been something different. I don't know. But stories stories work in terms of communication because they add color to it they help people to visualize that scenario and how that scenario might apply to another area of their life so if we want the messages that we're putting out there to be engaging and to be vivid in some way then we have to add some of that color to those stories yeah so Nathan, you mentioned you started your first business at 12. You have mentioned, so I am allowed to repeat that you're 32 now. And I know that you are this year the president. So you've reached this elevated stage of the speaking world of being president of the Professional Speaking Association. I believe you're the youngest president so far. I'm not sure we're going to have a 12-year-old in the end. <laughs> I believe I am, yeah. Although I wouldn't be surprised if someone took that mantle in the near future. <laughs> Here's uh, position of leadership so you know let's talk about leadership I mean we live in a time where you know we it seems to me that we as a society are struggling to find leaders we aspire to that we admire and so on and and we're looking backwards in history I think or we're looking at the leaders we've got now and I'm much more interested in your generation and the generation to come that you've said you don't yet understand, you know, what do we see in terms of opportunities for leadership and changes in the way we lead in society or even in an organisation like the PSA? What, what do you think? I think there's something really powerful in naivety. <laughs> I think- <laughs> If I think back to, so when I'd I'd started that business, uh, I was too young to enter into a contract with with a client. So we had a very simple conversation that said, if you don't pay me for the website, I'll turn it off. Is that okay? (laughs) And of course, well, the early response is, yes, that's fine. They'll they'll pay for the service. And if if they don't, the website gets turned off. And the only reason I did that was I figured, well, at, at 13 or 14, when I first started doing that, it's the only way I can I can get paid the money that I'm due. So that was very much a, I'd like to think, a common sense approach to it, rather than overcomplicating things. Mm. This is the simplest way of me being able to get what I want and getting that message across really clearly. So, yeah, I think there's something powerful in, you know, for someone who doesn't know what they don't know they'll just do what comes naturally to them and what they think is the the best solution. So as we go into the future, I think, you know, we are looking at the younger generations being those leaders of the future. We don't necessarily have to wait for them to become those leaders to learn something from them, though. So if we look at the way that younger generations are communicating, and I, I include generations much younger than me in that as well, if we look at the way that they're communicating, the way they build audiences, the way they get influence and the majority of that does tend to be online I think that's understandable but why do we have to wait for them to become those leaders why can't we learn from them now rather than thinking we know better because we're 20 30 40 years older why can't we take some of the things that they're doing right now in getting their message across and leading other people and 
get a little taster of that in what we're doing ourselves. I love that idea because what's come through my doing this podcast and asking questions about leadership is actually the sense that we're all leaders if we choose to be in our own sphere, in our own way, and that we can all look to each other for that inspiration. And you don't have to be a global leader. You don't have to be the world's best speaker to be an influencer, to be a leader. It's all down to your personal philosophy and whether you walk your talk, basically, you know, if you say you do something, you're an expert in something, you believe in something and you do it and you do it in a way that makes other people, as you say, be able to learn from you, watch you. You know, we've all got something that people can learn from and we can all learn such a huge amount from others. So I think that's really inspiring idea, Nathan. I think a leader doesn't have to be at the top either. You know, it's. I, I don't know whether it's just a way that we're hardwired that means we're always looking for a guru, someone to to help us do something huge. But leadership, I think, comes from the tiniest, tiniest little communities that might focus on a really small area. I mean, even you look at the PSA, the PSA is uh, an association for the speaking industry. And in relative terms, the speaking industry is tiny compared to so many other industries. But what I love about it is that people continue to be members, continue to take value from other people there because they feel like it's their tribe. They feel like it's people who've been through those same experiences that they have. Mm. So this idea of peer leadership, people who've gone through similar challenges and come out the other side, or they've done something that's worked a little bit better than what they were doing before. And they're able to share that message with their peers. I think is really powerful. It's not just about a leader at the top. It's about how we help each other. I love that peer leadership. We should we should remember that phrase. And then I wanted to ask you, you know, we live again in an age which is a little bit alien to me of ca- cancel culture. You know, I think we've all got to be a little bit more careful about what we say. And one, I know one of your catchphrases for your campaigns is to how to be undeletable. So I wonder <laughs> how you square those two things, being undeletable and uh, making sure we don't get cancelled. Well, the idea of sending undeletable emails is, well, it really comes from the best piece of feedback that I get with any of my clients is when they forward me an email from one of their own subscribers that says, yours is one of the few newsletters that I actually read. Because we're in a world where attention spans are much shorter than they used to be, where there's there are so many more rivals for people's attention in terms of social media and elsewhere, that having someone take the time out of their day to read your email on a regular basis, I think is is something that should really be respected. So you have to create content that does speak to those challenges and opportunities that we were talking earlier, has some color to it with stories, with ideas that are really going to help them within their lives. And we're aiming to be useful. We're aiming to be helpful to the people that are in our, our own communities. How that translates to this idea of cancel culture and whether you can say too many of the wrong things. I think you're looking to build an audience of people who know, like, and trust you ultimately. So if they are people who know, like, and trust you, then you can rarely say the wrong thing unless it's something that really, really shouldn't be said, in which case you've probably got bigger issues. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to that cancel culture. There are those people who say, you know, I don't know who you are. And my, 
inbox I saw somebody post this today on Facebook my inbox is so busy I'm just cancelling all these subscription emails because I haven't got time to read them so mm -hmm. there again you'd hope you'd be one of the five percent that are kept online um, as well as you know people being sensitive about messaging and and your messaging and thinking they don't want to read something they disagree with and actually again I think it's nice to be challenged in our thinking to think I don't necessarily agree with that person but I'd love to explore that a little bit more and understand it from their perspective. And I think sometimes we're not willing to do that too. I see plenty of people who are really focused on the number of unsubscribes they get from their emails as though it's a, as though they've maybe said something wrong. They've offended that person when quite often they haven't. Yeah. In truth, if they're unsubscribing, it probably just wasn't the right fit. They're busy doing other things. They've got other priorities in their lives that mean that reading your email once a week or once a month just isn't top of their priority list. That's okay. So the messages you're sending should resonate, of course, with your audience so that you do want to keep them engaged and you are able to keep them reading and reading regularly. But hey, we, we shouldn't be offended if someone unsubscribes or doesn't read all of our emails. That's okay. Yeah. And then um, I, I wanted to ask you about this. I know you, you, I think it was one of your talks or one of your books, is it? The 20 Best Subject Lines. Yeah. So 20 best subject lines is, is one of my lead magnets. So a lead magnet is something that I give as an incentive for people to join my email list and, and hear from me on a regular basis. Yeah. And it's because I'm fascinated really when it comes to emails, how this tiny piece of text that most of us don't give a second thought to can have such a big influence on the results that we get. Because if someone doesn't open your email, then they're not going to read it. And if they don't read it, they're not going to take the action that you want them to take. And that tiny piece of text has such a big influence over whether someone does. And the 20 best subject lines is a simple reference point for people to be able to find some subject lines that will get higher open rates from their emails. It's as simple as that. And it works for me as a, as a lead magnet simply because it's easy for people to implement. It's something they can put into practice straight away and see if it works for them. But I guarantee that most people don't give anywhere near enough thought to the subject lines that they're using. That's true. And I don't think I did, Nathan, until I met you and heard you speak and, you know, and got this particular download. It's fascinating to think that, you know, you've got to focus on those three words or five words, but it should be really short, shouldn't it? Punchy. Um and as you've just said, know what action you want someone to take. So it's very easy to just go in with a long subject line or not having thought about it, throw a lot of stuff into the email and then not have a call to action at the bottom or or know what you want from that email. And that must apply, you know, not only to those of us that are using our emails for marketing, but any email could be structured in a way that is more interesting and more compelling and um yeah, undeletable, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what do we say in so many areas of life? Start with the end in mind. What is it you want yeah. them to actually do as a result of the message that you're sending? Yes. If you start with that, it can change what you do with your subject lines and how you write the email. And yeah, I feel like we come back to stories so much with this. Stories play a huge part in emails, they play a huge part in sales messaging. We just need to give more thought, I think, to the way that we construct our messages to make them readable because we've got to be respectful of people's time. As I say, reading your email wasn't at the top of their to-do list when they woke up this morning. So you have to work pretty hard to get it onto that to-do list. 
That's true. And so with that in mind, is consistency important? I mean, is it important if I'm going to send a message that I send it on the same day of the week so that, you know, it's not popped into their inbox unexpectedly, necessarily? I think it is if you want to build a relationship with them and if you want to become part of their routine. So if if reading your emails wasn't part of their existing routine, but you want it to become a part of that routine, I think you have to be consistent with that so that you almost break their routine. So some of the most successful emails, I think certainly if you're sending weekly or fortnightly, should be sent on the same day each week or each fortnight. I think if you're sending monthly, then there can be a bit more flexibility to it. But if you know that your email is going to be going out every Wednesday, people will start to expect it. And you know you've built that relationship if for some reason you accidentally missed it or it was a little bit later than it should have been. And you start getting a couple of emails saying, is everything okay? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was expecting to see something from you. I had my cup of coffee ready. I was ready to read. Yeah, that means you've started to build that relationship with them. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I do get that. People do follow up on mine in that way. And it, it it's nice. But yeah, and then you could not send it just so that you get the sympathy emails, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. So Nathan, tell us, is your is your 20 best subjects line still available as a as a, a download? Is that one way people can get to know a little bit more about you and, and what you do? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can get that at subjectlines.co.uk. It's something that I'm now updating every year as well. So I'm about to publish the 2023 edition just mm-hmm. to make sure that it's as timely and as relevant as it can be. Fantastic. So we'll put that in the show notes. And then if people want to know more about you, presumably you've got a website that you've designed yourself, I expect. (laughs) I certainly have. Yeah. So I'm at nathanlittleton.co.uk, but always happy to connect on LinkedIn as well. And uh, yeah, build a network there. And then if people want to know more about the PSA, what? so that's the Professional Speaking Association, which both you and I belong to. Where do they find out more about that? That would be thepsa.co.uk. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier. So many of the members of PSA do call it their tribe because it's filled with people who have been through those same experiences that you have. So it's a wonderful organization. The reason I joined the board and became national president was because it's an organization that has given so much to me as well. So it really is a, a privilege to, to share and, and to give back. I would agree with that. Um, Absolutely. 100%, Nathan, having been a member for I can't remember how long, but many, many years. Uh, And what would your final message to listeners today be given all that we've talked about? It would be in keeping actually with my theme for the PSA for this year, which is focusing on just one thing. So Mm -hmm. I brought this in as the theme for the year in PSA because I wanted people to make more of the opportunities that they have to learn. So attending conferences, seeing speakers. And I don't know about you, Jane, but I make so many notes from conferences and events that I attend. And then I might look back on those notes and have a look at which things I've implemented and then feel really guilty for, oh, that was a good idea. It perhaps still is a good idea. And I didn't put it into practice because there were so many other things to do. So I think the focus is just one thing. If there's something that has come from this conversation that we've had here that has just piqued your interest and has just made you think, oh, I could use that within my business, make that the thing you do today, like now, if you need to pause this podcast, do that and then listen to the final few minutes because that power of doing something while it's fresh in your mind and it's the most thing that you right now, I think is hugely powerful. Yeah, I love that. That's a really powerful point to end on. Just find one thing from this interview that 
really floats your boat, something you'd like to go away and do, go away and do it now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Nathan, thank you for your time. I know you're really busy with all these hats on that you, you've been wearing since you were 12 and keep adding to, but uh, really thank you for spending the time and, and giving us um, such valuable advice today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you. listening to this podcast if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends and colleagues please do subscribe to the barefoot mediator podcast series and if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change challenge and crisis and download a pdf copy of my book how to beat bedlam in the boardroom and boredom in the bedroom please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video the link is in the show notes